Um, well, I just wanted to tell you that um, the week before we started back to Bible study, um, it was just really fun that the team came together and we began to send um, scriptures to each other via text, prayers for each other via text. And I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, how did we ever do this before technology? You know, I mean, how, to sit and wait for snail mail to come across the sea. Um, you know, I mean, we don't have to do that. And so I was just thinking how wonderful that we can encourage each other and send scriptures and, oh, this one really affected me and, oh, I'm praying for you for this. And we had an opportunity and we have an opportunity to help in the process of becoming more fruitful, becoming more of a reflection, which is our theme, um, as you know. Look at, the, look at the cover of your book and you'll get that one, right? And um, so we can help each other, encourage each other in the process of becoming more fruitful. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about, first spot on your outline, what is the secret of spiritual fruit? What does that mean? How do we get there? How do we help one another? How do we make... Um, developing spiritual fruit in our life, the goal and the focus of our life as we go through, wow, this world, difficult, angry times, challenges, um, heartaches perhaps, health issues perhaps, whatever it is that's weighing on you, how do I become fruitful in the midst. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at today. James Montgomery Boyce, a great commentator of so many books of the Bible, including Philippians, said this, one of the reasons why God has saved us is that we might be fruitful Christians. That's part of God's purpose for us to become fruitful and to become, you know, God could have snapped his fingers and said, okay, I'm going to have X number of people that come into the kingdom snap it and I'm going to speak to your heart, Stephanie. Snap it and I'm going to speak to your heart, Karen, and I'm going to draw you. He could have done, and he does do that, I will say that, but incredible in his grace and mercy, he's allowed us to be his agents, to be fruitful so that other people will be drawn into a relationship with him. Wow, what a, what a graciousness uh, from God. Now, I want to tell you that when I graduated from college, um, I had a degree in electrical engineering. Why are you laughing so hard? No, I did not. In fact, I have struggles to screw in a new light bulb into the lamp. But you know what? I saw an amazing natural illustration that is so good, and it has to do with electricity. Now, let me just tell you, it took a while for this non-electrical engineer brain to figure this one out, but it is so helpful in looking at becoming fruitful Christians. Here's, here's how it goes. In the world of electricity, I want you to think about a lamp and think about the cord that you plug into the wall. That much I can do most of the time. But anyway, um, the, the interesting thing is voltage. You've heard that word, haven't you? Voltage is a measurement of the strength of a light fixture. 
Amperage, or amps, you've heard that word too, I think, is a measure of the flow of that strength. Are you impressed or what? And um, wattage, the wattage that a uh, electrical uh, implement has is the measurement of that power. So it is a product of the strength multiplied by the flow. In other words, it's, it's wattage is a product of voltage multiplied by amps. Does that make sense? I'm working on it. But anyway, our Christian life can be kind of expressed that way. Voltage is being filled with God's love, the strength in our lives. The amps is the allowing of that strength to flow through our lives. And then as we allow that flow of that strength, that will produce in our lives the wattage or the measure of power. Now here's the interesting thing. Sometimes the flow of electricity, there are resistors. Now I want you to think about this. Have you ever had a bending or a, you turn on the lamp and you go, okay, now why is this thing not, you know, with my engineering degree, my, you know, electrical engineering degree, I should be able to figure this out. And you look down at it and you say, oh, oh my goodness, it's bent or twisted. And so there's a restrictor. There's something that causes the wattage to be none, no wattage at all, because the amps and the, what was the other one now? Bold, thank you. <laughs> Has been restricted. Isn't that true sometimes? In our lives, our lives can be the same. Restrictors that can impede the flow of God's strength or the flow and the power of our lives to be all that God desires us to be. What are some of those restrictors? What comes to your mind? Well, you know, um, busyness. Wow, is that a restrictor sometimes? Wrong motives. Um, you know, living for the moment, all the things. There's so many things in our lives that can be a restrictor that, that cramps the wattage of our lives. We need to free our lives of restrictors, of the twisted cords that limit all that God desires us to be. And so that the amp or flow of his power will cause the voltage, strength of our lives to be all that he desires. Being fruitful means allowing our wattage to be big, huge. Let me ask you a question. Are you a 40-watt bulb <laughs> or are you a 100-watt bulb? <laughs> yeah, I'm working on that one. Anyway, but that's the picture here. <clears throat> that's the picture of what Paul is saying to his beloved friends at Philippi. How to have full wattage full strength as we're reflecting God and as we learn how to be fruitful believers. That's what we're going to be talking about. So A on your outline, God, God, well, yes, God, through the writing of Paul, prays for three qualities for the Philippian Christians. A, Paul prays for three qualities for the Philippian Christians. Number one, first one, he prays for abounding love, abounding love. Look at with me. Uh, I'm sure you have your Bibles already open. Philippians 1, verse 9. And here's what it says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment. With knowledge and all discernment. Now, first of all, as he's talking about love, abounding love, small a on your outline, this love is God's love. And the way we know that is because the word for love used here in the original language here in Greek is agape. You've heard of that word, agape. That's God's love, unconditional love, love that only can come through the Holy Spirit. We cannot conjure up agape. We can have brotherly love and sisterly love, and we can have you know, parent love and girlfriend love and all the different kinds of love, but agape love, unconditional love, only comes from the Holy Spirit pouring out of us in our lives. And that is the word that uh, Paul, uh, Paul is using here. He prays that that love will abound full watts, which means in abundance, in excess, and don't we all want to be loved like that? Don't we want to be loved by, like that? Don't we want to have the ability to love like that? Don't we want to just release the Holy Spirit and say, you know, I have that person in my life that's a little bit difficult to love, so just, do you have some of those? I think so. From the sound of things, oh, no, 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 okay, just me. But anyway, those are the times when we say, oh, Lord, let your agape love flow out of me so that I can love that unlovely. And that is exactly what Paul is praying for the Philippian church and for our church. Secondly, small b on your outline, back to the verse, it is a love that, has, that is full of knowledge. It's not just agape love, it is agape love full of knowledge. Um, Frank Sheed said this, if a man loves God knowing a little about him, he should love God more from knowing more about him. In other words, knowledge. For every new thing known about God is a new reason for loving him. Isn't that a good thought? That the more we learn about God, the more knowledge, as the verse says, we have about God, the more we are able to love him. Now, he's talking about spiritual knowledge there. How to be obedient to God, to understand his ways, his precepts. How do we gain that knowledge of God? Well, you're doing it right now. Studying his word. Sharing with other believers what you're learning. Learning from each other. Praying. Um, investing your time and your thoughts and your efforts in doing things that will increase your knowledge of God. If we truly <clears throat> love God with gratitude, won't we want to please him? And the way to please him is through knowing what is important to him. Now think about this with, with me. Think about somebody that you really deeply want to love better. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your husband, I hope it is. Maybe it's a girlfriend. Maybe it's, I don't know who it is, but when you're trying to deepen your relationship with a person that you want to love better, don't you really want to find out about them? What makes that person tick? How could I really express my love better? What, what's that person's love language? How can I love them? How can I uh, love them better? Well, knowing them is one way, isn't it? Knowing a friend, knowing a husband, knowing a family member. That's why all of you bring me chocolate all the time. <laughs> anyway, um, so we want to love that way. We, want to, it, we need to make a study of the person, the beloved person, listening, pondering, evaluating. And that's what we should be doing with God. That's how it, our knowledge of God 
is increased. See, thirdly, he's praying for them that the love will not only be full of knowledge, but it will be discerning, discerning. Again, the verse, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all, there it is, discernment. That means depth of insight. That means moral perception, the ability to know right action in a given situation. And as our love grows, coupled with our knowledge of God, that leads to practical insight into everyday living. Isn't that what we need? Don't we need that uh, to be, have the ability to respond in a situation? Okay, what would you want me to do here in this situation, Lord? Get, help me to discern what you want. Give me discernment in this difficult situation in my life. Some of you may have, um, it's fall. Some of you may have sent a child to um, college for the first time. Maybe some of you sent one to high school or middle school, or you know, maybe it's a new season of a child's life in your life. Um, but And if you've already done this long, long ago, you'll know what I'm talking about. But when you send your child off to a new situation, don't you think, okay, I hope I, I poured everything into them so that when they're faced with uh, something new, they will know how to handle it. They'll think, what would mom think about this if I got involved in, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm talking about. I remember, boy, that was one of my biggest prayers when I sent the kids off to college. It was halfway across the country, and I just say, Lord, I don't know what situations they're going to face, but please, Give them your discernment. I didn't use those terminologies, but that's what I was thinking. Pour into them an understanding of how you would want them to react. Now, we don't, because we don't know what some of the situations are that they're going to meet, do we? And so we want to have discernment. That's what Paul is praying. What shall I do or how shall I respond that would please God? That's what he's praying for the Philippian Christians. I want them to have discernment, Lord, to know what you would want in their lives. Number two. Secondly, Paul prays for assessment of what is best. Kind of closely connected to discernment, isn't it? Knowing what is best in a situation. Look at verse 10, the beginning of it with me. So that you may approve what is excellent. Or I love it in NIV. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And that refers to the ability to distinguish the things that really matter from a variety of competing possibilities. Marcus Bachmiel said this, the spirit-bred ability to discern that which God has already marked off as essential or superlative regarding life in Christ. In other words, knowing what is best. What is the best in this situation? A, life is a series of choices. Isn't that true? Um, from best to good. I don't know if you struggle with that. I do all the time. Bob is always saying to me, okay, babe, is this a good or best use of you? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, I have a myriad of good things I could do, but what is the best thing that you have for me? What is the best thing I, you have for me today? What is the best thing you have in my purposes and so forth? I think probably the biggest struggle, one of the biggest struggles for us as 21st century Christians is that we are so busy doing good things that we miss doing the best. 
Would you agree with that? We have so much we could be doing. Oh my goodness. Oh, the laundry's piled up. Oh, the cleaning. Oh, the dishes I should have put in the dishwasher before I left today. Literally. <laughs> um, and on and on it goes. All the good things. And those are important things. They're good things. But the best things. What is the best thing that God has for us to do? One of the best things it talks about, and we'll study this later in depth, is in chapter 3, verse 8. I consider all things as loss in comparison with the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. That should be the best. And anything that pours into that is a best in our lives. Can you say that? I, I think the most, um, the most important thing in my life is knowing Jesus better than serving myself. That's what I want to say. Don't you want to say that? I so want to get that, don't you? That the most important thing is knowing Jesus Christ. It is the little everyday choices that de determine our spiritual health because they will govern our bigger choices, right? Um, I think the black and white issues in our lives are most of the time pretty easy, but it's those gray areas, you know, wow, you know, that, that can be the most challenging. But as love abounds, be on your outline, as love abounds, the best emerges. Now, in your book, there is a misprint. How could that happen in our study books? I mean, when we go over them and edit them, edit them, edit them, edit them. Them. But anyway, that word should be abounds, like the verse says. As love abounds, the best emerges. As we love the Lord and therefore others, as we have agape love, as God gives us agape love through the Holy Spirit, then that will flow out in the lives of other people as well. When we love the Lord and therefore others and grow in our understanding of God, we will be able to determine better, the best things in life, the best things over the good things, the best in understanding God, the best in priorities, the best in habits, the best in pleasures, the best in pursuits, the best action, course of action for ourselves and our family, our best in time management, the best in attitude choices, um, all of those things as we um, allow love to abound, the best emerges more and more. We're never going to get that perfectly until we get to heaven, but those bests will begin more and more to emerge. Um, Pam sent me something this week that maybe some of you saw on Facebook that just was um, very powerful that describes this so um, beautifully. If I can find it here, Pammy Corn. Hmm. Um, here we go. Listen to this. Maybe you saw this. You are holding a cup of coffee. I wish I was, but anyway. A um, cup of coffee, with some, and someone comes along and bumps into you or shakes your arm, making you spill your coffee everywhere. What did, why did you spill the coffee? Well, because somebody bumped into my arm. Wrong answer. You spilled the coffee because there was coffee in your cup. There you go. You're getting it already. Wow. I don't need to read this to you. Um, had you had tea in your cup, you would have spilled. Thank you. When whatever is inside your cup is what will spill out. 
Therefore, when life comes along, do ever, ever you, ever you have life come along? I think so. When life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it until you get rattled. <laughs> so we have to ask ourselves, what is in my cup? Joy, gratitude, peace, humility, or anger, bitterness, harsh words, re and reactions. Life provides the cup. You choose what you fill it with. Today, let's work toward filling our cups with gratitude, forgiveness, joy, words of affirmation, kindness, gentleness, and love for others. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yes. And um, I, I just think that helps talking about as love, as we grow in our love and the knowledge of God and discernment, that these things will begin to surface more and more in our life. It is a choice, though, isn't it? We have to choose, don't we? Um, anyway. So the prayer continues. Number three on your outline. He prays for readiness for the day of the Lord. Look at the second half of verse 10. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now what is he saying there? What is he praying for the Philippians? He's letting the Philippians know that he is praying for them as he, and he wants them to be ready for, quote, the day of Christ. What does that mean? That's the second mention of the day of Christ. He also talked about it um, in last week's study, we, in verse 6, he, he talked about the day of Christ. He wanted the Philippians to be prepared. There is a sense of urgency in the original language for the day of Christ. An urgency. In other words, what I want to have on your mind is the day of Christ could be right around the corner. There's a great um, quote by Marcus Rockmeal, preparation for the day of the Lord was for Paul neither a pious platitude nor a millenarian obsession, but a way of life. A way of life. Christian growth is not an end in itself. It is a constant awareness that someday we will stand before Jesus. Clearly, this was huge on the Apostle Paul's brain, and therefore he was praying that for his beloved friends in Philippi. Don't you think that part of it was um, being it was so much in his forefront, in his mind, because he didn't know what his future held, did he? He didn't know if he was going to be called in to say, okay, this is the day you're going to be executed today. He did not know from one day to another how long he had to live. But guess what? Isn't that true of our own lives? I don't care if you're 20 or 120, that we don't know how many days we have. I'll never forget, I walked up to Miss Helen last week, and I said, she's not listening to me, but that's okay. I'm talking about you, Miss <laughs> Helen. I walked up to her last week, and I said, Miss Helen, I'm so glad to see you here today. And she said, I'm so glad to be here today. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll be here next week. And look at this, she's here next week. <laughs> so um, isn't that wonderful? So that's the perspective that we need to say. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for today. I don't know. Maybe, t maybe I'll be in an accident on the way home. Wow, and I get to go to heaven. Is that cool or what? Um, or Jesus might come today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We all get caught up in the air. Wow. Um, hallelujah is right. Hey, where is Denise when I need her? Oh, thank you. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, we don't know how long we have. I'll never forget um, um, Grace Chavis from First Baptist Fort Lauderdale. Some of you know her. Um, just had such a respect for her. And she had a saying that, that every morning when she'd get up, she'd say, this is a day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and why am I teaching this thing? You just teach yourself. <laughs> anyway, and, and then she put her foot on the ground and she'd get on with her day for whatever God had for today, not forever, for today. And then we need to be walking through those, this is the day, doing and being available for what God has on her plate to do because we don't know if this may be our last day. Wow. So we need to live in that understanding. B, Paul prays for the fruits of righteousness for the Philippians Christians. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Number one, what are the fruits of righteousness? I love a quote by Francis of Assisi. He says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You all are on today, boy, I'm telling you. If necessary, use words. In other words, we need to be preaching the gospel with our actions. Have, aren't there times when you're at the grocery store and somebody comes up and for one time they're not, they're not uh, mean and trying to get in front of you and hitting you in the back of the legs with their carts or whatever and they're very gracious and say, good morning and go ahead. You, you don't have many, many things in your cart. Go ahead with me. And you, and you say, she must be a Christian or something, my goodness, you know? And we need to be that. Even if we never have an opportunity to share the gospel, that our actions make us different, where people walk away and say, wow, that was really a nice woman. She was really gracious to me. Wow, this is South Florida. <laughs> but we need our actions. We need to preach the gospel. And many times when we're doing that, it opens the door for somebody to say, wow, you're really whatever. And so we need to be ready with our actions. Words, in other words, fruits of righteousness are our actions, what we do, how we live. When we receive the righteousness from Jesus, when we are made clean through the forgiveness of our sins and made new creatures in Christ Jesus, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, then we have, as the promise of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and therefore there will be, should be, we need to allow the fruits of the Spirit, the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5.22, you know this verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As I'm saying those to myself, oh Lord, today I need the fruits of the Spirit, I need love, joy, peace, but, and I always come up with, wait a minute, I missed a couple. <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe that's because the Lord is saying, I want you to think about those very clearly, because maybe that's the very one that you need, that you can't think of. Fruits of the Spirit. When our lives are filled with the fruits of the Spirit, we will have fruitful lives, what we're learning about, what Paul is praying for the Philippian Christians and for us. A tree that bears fruit is alive. Also, 
A fruit-bearing tree brings glory to who? The gardener, to the, to the person that planted the person. And um, so, wow, we, we, we look at a, a, a fruitful tree and say, wow, I'll tell you what, that gardener, the, the planter of that tree is really good with plants, I'm thinking. Look at that. And it brings glory to the person who planted the tree. It's sort of like me. I have absolutely no ability to do one thing with a plant. If somebody gives me a plant, it looks beautiful for one day, and then it starts going down the tubes. I do not have a green thumb. I have a neighbor, however, that is abs her. I am so jealous of her garden. <laughs> it's just gorgeous. All of her plants are, you know, they're flowering at the, you know, her impatience in the fall. Oh my goodness, they're just, you know, take over her yard. Just gorgeous. And, it, and it's such a reflection. I've often thought, wow, she really knows when to water, and she does great with we weeding things, which I hate to do because you get dirt under your fingernails, and, you know, ugh. Um, she really, really knows what she's doing. When we are having fruitful lives, when our lives are bearing fruit, guess what? We are a reflection of the great gardener of God, God. Number two, what are the results of the fruit of righteousness? Bringing honor to the gardener with a capital G. Look at the end of verse 11. For the glory and praise of God. No, to the glory and praise of God. This is an amazing introductory paragraph that he begins with Paul's thanksgiving with the Philippians. Last week we talked about that. He began with his thanksgiving, praying, thanking God for the Philippians. And then it flows into praying for the things that really count, that the Philippians would be so filled with the fruits of righteousness from the Holy Spirit that it would bring glory and praise to God, our great gardener. It's kind of a vicious cycle. As our love begins to abound more and more toward God and to other people, then our, as we understand knowledge with discernment, then, then we, again, comes full circle. We start loving more, and then we, we learn more. Our knowledge increases, and then our discernment increases. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a vicious cycle, a good vicious cycle that it grows upon each other. The more we pray to him in a deepening knowledge of God, and for and loving prayers for others, the more we will grow in our knowledge of him and love him more. As we continue to grow in our knowledge of him, then our lives will become more and more fruitful. The more we will bring praise and glory to him, our Heavenly Father. Just as Paul prayed for the Philippians, as we pray for abounding love, verse 9, as we pray for assessment in what is best, we will grow in our fruits of righteousness and bring praise and glory to him that will cause us to be, again, joyously committed to bringing glory to him. John Piper said this, all who cast themselves on God find that they are carried into endless joy by God's omnipotent commitment to his own glory. Now, when it says that God is committed to his own glory, it is not egotistical. You know why he wants to be glorified? So he can draw more people to himself. He wants to draw as many into the kingdom as he can possibly do. He wants to, he, he wants 
all of the glory for him to be reflected in our lives so more and more people will end up spending eternity with him. Does God go to deep measures to draw people to himself? Can I tell you of a personal one that happened to me a couple weeks ago? This is amazing. Bob and I have a favorite restaurant and a favorite waitress. And I keep telling Bob, I think he should probably, um, one of them, I should say. Yes, Karen being one, absolutely. And, <clears throat> but she's already in the kingdom, so we don't have to work on you, Karen. But anyway, and I'm saying, you know, I think you should take me out to lunch every day. I should either go see Karen and Mary, but, or, you know, we can go to this other one that we love. And um, I, don't you think? It's ministry, right? Absolutely. Need to do this thing. So anyway, this other favorite restaurant of ours that we go to periodically, um, this particular waitress continued to wait on us. And um, one day we said, favorite waitress, one of our favorite waitresses, um, could you, uh, do, can, we were getting ready to pray over our food, um, is there anything that we, you would like us to pray for you? And she goes, look, very startled. And she said, well, actually, yeah, um, my, let's see, my daughter was in a little biking accident and her arm is a little bit sore and messed up. Could you pray for that? We said, absolutely. So we did while we were praying over our food. A couple weeks later, the next time we were there, after we'd already been at our other favorite restaurant, um, <laughs> she, <laughs> and she, came, she came back out and she, and um, thank you, Jesus, in this forgetful brain, he planted a remembrance that we had prayed for her daughter. I said, hey, how's your daughter doing? And she looked very startled. And she said, well, well, thanks for asking. It's much better. And I said, well, great, you know, blah, blah, blah. A couple weeks later, another time we went there. And um, she came out and she said, do you all go to church? <laughs> and, we, and I said, uh, yeah, we do. And she said, well, I, I, I'm sort of, I'm thinking, I used to go to a church when I was little, and I was kind of thinking maybe I should, you know, I have my daughter, I should get them, maybe her plugged in and all that kind of thing. Do you know of a church? And I went, do I know a church? Uh, yeah. There is a church up the street, not very far from here. It's called West Pines Community Church. And we happen to know the pastor there. His name is, <laughs> name is Roby. And so and she said, oh, okay, well, thanks for that. And then Bob says, hey, you know what? I'm going to be at Fires, Forest uh, Harvest Fire in Miami this week. Do you want to come and meet Rosemary? And she goes, oh, uh, yeah, oh okay, okay. So she, we made a date to meet at the 1130 service, and I'm standing in the lobby drinking coffee, thank you, Maria, and thinking, um, she's never going to walk in here. <laughs> Whereupon the door opens, and in she walks with her middle school daughter. I was blown away. And um, so the story gets better. We have plenty of time. I'll just tell you all the details. But anyway, and so um, Roby, the pastor of that church, comes walking up, and, hey, good to meet you, and she, he says to the, the young woman, would you be interested in um, coming to see the student ministry? And she goes, well, okay, you know, like a 12-year-old would, and um, he says, great, after service, let me meet you, and I'm going to take you over to student ministry. 
So after the service was done, um, we walked out and he took, walked us over to the student ministry across the way and we walked in and there was this very personable young woman standing behind the counter there and the little middle school is looking around and oh mom look at that, that, I know that kid from middle school, from my school. And um, so this woman comes over, very pleasant, and she stands there and she says, well hi, my name is Kate and I'm the, the um, minister to students wife. And so she began talking and being very personable, and she says to our waitress friend, she says, where did you, where, where, where are you from originally? And she goes, well, I'm from the Chicago area. And she goes, no way. <laughs> Kate, the student pastor's wife, um, I'm from the Chicago area. And if you know anything about Chicago, there's so many suburbs, so many that I, I happen to know about it, one called Wheaton, but that's about the only one I know. And um, she said, well, which one? She named one I didn't know. She goes, stop it. <laughs> and the other woman goes, that is where I'm from. Well, where, what street were you on? <laughs> Turns out that they were within blocks of each other, went to the same high school, graduated, and the, the, the staff member says, um, well, you know, I, you graduate such and such. That's the year that my brother, stepbrother, graduated. Do you remember the name so-and-so Howard? She goes, oh, well, I never knew him, but I know that name. <laughs> and it was just, I'm, I just stood back there going, God, how <laughs> in the world these details that came together that made this woman feel apart, loved, accepted. And later on, I found out from Roby that um, the student pastor's wife is not there every single Sunday. She just happened to be there that day. Guess who was at church last week? Guess who ended up in the student ministry that said to her mom, please, could we stay a little bit longer? Do we have to go now? A 12-year-old? What God goes through to bring his children home, to draw people into the kingdom, the details that he goes through. Amazing, amazing. May God receive all the glory and honor as he draws people to himself. Wow.